0: Today, uh, as you know—at least I think all of you know—we're studying First uh, Thessalonians. We're doing the two Thessalonian letters together, and we're um, about four-fifths of the way through First Thessalonians. Today, we get into Chapter Five. Now, uh, guys, I must tell you, I've been facing this particular chapter with some fear and trepidation, mainly because uh, this chapter deals with some end times teaching, eschatology, future things. You you follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Last time when we were together, last Wednesday, we touched just at the very end of chapter four with another end-time teaching, and basically we spent most of our hour on that. It's called the Doctrine of the Rapture, and it's the, the Lord Jesus coming back in the clouds for his church, and we connected that with John 14 and so on. And the whole point of the teaching is verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So without getting into the controversy that sometimes surrounds the teaching of the rapture, the end time uh, ideas that are in the Bible, the point is not to get controversial and start hurling accusations at one another because you don't agree. It is this truth. Jesus Christ is coming back for church. And we should be comforted and encouraged with that. Whether you're going to put it at the beginning or the middle or the end, that's where sort of the controversy is. For now, I'm sort of trying to stay away from that controversy and just focus on the encouraging teaching is Jesus is coming back for us. Okay? Now, chapter 5, if you look at the, the, the chapter, he's continuing to talk about end times things. And so he says... Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. In other words, that little phrase, times and dates, it's kind of like a a saying. It's like a a catch-all phrase for all the details surrounding the end times. And Paul says, we don't need to talk about that in detail. But this one thing you know. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So, the subject of these 11 verses is this concept the day of the Lord. Now, <laughs> I was going to use this pen, but there's no point to it, I don't think. Yeah, I can make it. It's 116th of an inch in size, but I can make it work. The day of the Lord. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. Have any of you ever heard of this phrase before? Is this a new phrase to you? Heard You've heard of it. Okay. A couple of you are shaking your head. You've heard of it. Good. Um, I won't ask you the next question. What does it mean? What's it involved? That's getting a little too specific. This is, this is what I want to do. with This is an Old Testament phrase. OT Old Testament. This is an Old Testament phrase that has New Testament application to it. It shows up several times in the New Testament, but it's primarily in the Old Testament. What does it mean? The day of the Lord is a time of, I maybe should put it this way, a future time of judgment and of blessing. There are, um, there are several dozen references in the Old Testament that we could go to. I, I'm not going to go to those, but we could if we want to. But you would find it, for example, in the Minor Prophet of Amos, Minor Prophet of Joel, Minor Prophet of Zephaniah. All books that are small Minor Prophets, and I doubt if you've spent very much time in any one of those three books. In Minor Prophet,
1: <laughs> you just mean they haven't written as much as that, or made as grandiose predictions
0: of the major prophet? No, um, the major minor prophet is just a classification that um, biblical teachers have given to 12 books of the Bible in the Old Testament. Four of them are major prophets because they're long. I mean, like 40, 50 chapters. Whereas the minor prophets, there are 12 of those, are relatively small, like two, three, four chapters. That's, that's the only distinction, that It isn't content, it's length it isn't content, it's length. So these, all I'm doing with this is I, I, I'm gonna do the best I can not to get you confused because this can be, the more we dig into it, the more confusing it can be. So if we would just, if we would just summarize it in this way, the day of the Lord is a future time of God breaking into history. Primarily in almost all of these references which from these little books in the Old Testament are focusing on God's judgment God breaking into history for the purpose of judgment now the, the causes of it and the reasons for it right now, if you, it's okay with you I don't want to get into that, all I want you to do is to think that when you see the phrase day of the Lord it means God breaking into history and you, you understand what I mean by breaking into history, in other words he's very clearly breaking into history for a purpose that purpose is to judge. That purpose is to call humanity to accountability, and it is almost always associated with the future time. In other words, all the events wrapped around the return of Jesus Christ. So, are you with me so far? I'm
2: not. Yeah, please. Is that going to be? That's not the time of the rapture. I think you told us before that so it's going to be two, first and a second, and. Rapture
0: is separate from the Second Coming. Second coming. That's right. Okay. Um, the Day of the Lord involves all of those things, Woody. You are anticipating my next point, so that was good. You're really thinking today. So, in other words, the Day of the Lord is a broad concept of God breaking into history, and it includes all of those things that we've talked about and will talk about. So it involves, again, most um, most scholars, Woody, would say it is that event of the rapture that starts the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord isn't a day. No, no, that's why. It's I, like it took a day. Yeah, to day is not, not a 24-hour day, but it's, it's the period of time, a block mm-hmm. of time. That's, it's used that way. We even speak of, you know, we're in the days of President Obama. The day of President Obama, that's not a criticism, it's just an observation, because he's president. That's all it means at time period. Uh, We're celebrating the 150th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's assassination today. Okay, That was the day of Abraham Lincoln, and he's president for for two terms. So anyway, um, this is what's hard. I'm trying to limit myself, but at the same time, I don't want to uh, limit it too much that you're not getting the information you need. So when Paul mentions in verse 2, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now before we get into the thief in the night idea, all I want you to do is make sure you understand. When Paul uses the phrase the day of the Lord, he taught them about this. Because he says, for you know that the day of the... So he taught them this. He is not saying something in this letter that relates to or refers to something that this is the first time they've ever heard of it. He is reminding them of something he had taught to them, that the day of the Lord is a future day of God breaking into history or judgment, and then I'll explain this in a minute, later for blessing. And so he's saying that I want to remind you of this. Now, we don't know why he decides to do this. We don't know why he's writing this. Probably it has something to do with some concerns, questions, misunderstandings that the people at this little church had. But the, and I hope I'm getting this point across. The point is he had taught them this. Now he's reviewing it. And he reviews something that he told them, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like a thief is a simile. Do you know what a simile is? You're comparing something. Like, Dave's haircut resembles an orange. It's like an orange. Now, I'm not being unkind to him. I'm just saying, you look at him, oh, I get it. To understand David's haircut, it's like an orange. You follow me? You look at it, it doesn't have any hair on the top. It's like a shaved orange head. Have I lost you or are you with me? So David is, or David, Paul is saying the day of the Lord is going to come into history like a thief in the night. What's the point of that?
1: It's the time you don't know
0: when he's coming. Anytime. It's unexpected. It's an unexpected event. Now that's, it's all saying. It's not giving any detail. All he's saying is, I taught you this. That the day of the Lord, this God breaking into history for purposes first of judgment, is going to come like a thief in the night. You know, you, 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 all of, I think all of you probably live in a house. And the one thing that could occur is that if you're away from your home or you're asleep at night and some thief breaks into your house, you're not anticipating that. You're not looking forward to that. It's unexpected. It's shocking. And that's his point. But he goes on. Verse 3, he further explains, what do you mean, Paul, it's going to be like a thief in the night? Well, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. All right, now let's take that verse and think about it in terms of the point he's making. It's going to come like a thief in the night. When you have people, now notice the pronouns, them and they. We'll talk about that in a minute. They're saying peace and safety. What does that mean? It's going to be like a normal day to them. They feel very secure. It's It's peace, safety, it's very secure. There's nothing abnormal, particularly. But what's going to come? Destruction. So we can understand that what Paul is saying is the day of the Lord is first and foremost, as to what he is teaching, going to be associated with destruction. It's a time of judgment. It's going to come unexpected. And when people are saying peace, peace and safety, it's going to come suddenly and they'll not escape
1: when, when they had revivals in America were they preaching more of this stuff or what we're hearing nowadays in church because it's totally different than what you're saying right
0: now wow Matt thanks for asking a non-controversial question <laughs> <laughs> well there's been
1: some revivals in no America, I know you're... and what
0: minimum do we need to get a revival is it well, is preaching more like I, this i this? think you ask it kind of in a general statement so i'll answer it in a general way for the most part the teachings in the revival periods of human history have largely come as teachers or preachers are focusing on being accountable to god and that god's going to hold you accountable and therefore messages like this, that God is going to come into history and he's going to hold people accountable. And the question for you sitting in the seat today in this revival meeting is, are you ready? How do I get ready? I put my faith in Christ. So the answer to your question is almost always revivals have not been associated with, I'm really feeling good about myself. I'm okay and you're okay. It's, I have a really significant spiritual need. And that need is only going to be met by Jesus, so I need to respond to that message. That's the revivalistic message. So, what I want you to observe before we move on, and I, you must make these observations or you miss the point. I want you to observe two pronouns. will come on them, and they will not escape. What pronouns is he not using there? You. So he is referring to those who have not placed their faith in Christ. Do you follow that? Yes. Because what he is working to in these 11 verses is the two different responses to the day of the Lord teaching. Verse 4. What's the first word of verse 4? But. But. So it's a contrast. And Witty added the pronoun, and he's correct. But you. So he's not focusing on the them and they. He's focusing on you, meaning the Thessalonian believers, and therefore all believers. I mean, because you get the message. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So that those days would surprise you like a thief. Again, note the pronoun. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. Let me stop there. So what I've done in the other... um, Part of this becoming very messy board up here is I drew an arrow from the teaching of the day and the Lord to the passage we're looking at today. Verse 5. And what he is doing is he's saying there will be two distinct responses to this teaching. The response of the children of light and day, the response of children of darkness and night. The we and you and the them and the they. Now, this I think you know, but let's just make sure we're clear on that. What's the difference between this group of people and this group of people? Born again. Say it again? What was your question? Born again. All right. These people, the children of the day, the we and the you, these are people who have responded to the message of Jesus Christ. These are the people who have rejected The message of Jesus Christ. That's why uh, people who've responded to the message are the children of the day, the children of light, versus the children of night, the children of darkness. These are the ones that think Christ is never coming back, judgment's never going to occur. We preach peace and safety. Everything's okay. I'm okay, you're okay, everything's fine. But you know there's coming a day. And God's going to call the human race to accountability. And if you've responded to the message of Jesus Christ, it's already taken care of. You don't have to fear this. So, I'm trying to build this slowly, by, step by step. Day of the Lord concept, do you think you've got some of your arms wrapped around that? And then secondly, do you see what he's doing? He's laying out the two distinct responses to this teaching. And the key to the response are the pronouns "we" and "you," each the pronouns he uses, and the pronouns "they" and "them." This is the piece, this is the group of people who rejected the message. This is the group of people who have accepted the message. Are you with me, uh, Jim? Please. I was thinking,
1: you know, with the rapture. I know you can't say how you take that, but the rapture comes first. That's going to be kind of surprising to the public, too. I mean, you know, the dead and Christ come out of the, and then the other ones come out, and then later, you know, that. I mean, you know, what they're going to, how are they going to deal with that situation? But,
0: well, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Somehow they're going to have to explain that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But, that's right. So, and all of the aspects and, and dimensions and events associated with the day of the Lord. You and I are aware of it because it's taught in the Scriptures. You and I have accepted and embraced the message. The person who has rejected the message is the person, I don't believe this stuff, it's a bunch of hooey. And somehow, even if, whenever the rapture occurs and so on, they'll try to explain that away. But what the Apostle Paul is trying to do is maybe... Settle some of the anxiety people had in Thessalonica about this end-time teaching. Because the more you study it, and the more you taught it, you are taught it, the more questions are raised about it. And that's one of the reasons why many pastors, quite frankly, stay away from it. They don't want to teach it. Because once you start teaching it, then you've got to explain a lot. You have to explain a lot of phrases, and then Explain want dates. Well, then that's, that's, exactly. that's then wrong do that. to do that, All but right, then right. they.
1: And they today, well, what day is yeah, it? Is what and, and you, they say, well, it's going to be?
0: <laughs> no, we're not yeah. supposed to do that. Right. But you know, the importance of this is uh, this meaning end times teaching is 27% of the Bible is prophecy. That's a big chunk of scripture. Yeah. And she said, Well, I don't want to teach it because it's controversial and it's hard. Then you're saying I'm just gonna write off 27% of scriptures, which is not quite a third, but it's approaching a third of the Bible. So it's important to God, or he wouldn't have told us about it. What I'm I'm trying to do here is as best I can can be, is not be controversial, (laughs) but get the main point of the teaching across, then we'll deal with some of the nuances and difficulties of it as we get further into this passage. But right now, it's a concept day of the Lord. It's a concept. It's all through the scriptures. But it's also the response to this teaching. Some people are going to ignore it and say it's silly, it's dumb, it's stupid. Peace and safety, the way things are today is the way things are always going to be. Don't tell me about this end time stuff. And others are going to say, no, this is part of God's teaching. And we're ready for this. How do you get ready? By putting your faith in Christ. Woody? I'm not sure I
2: understand Let's say uh, I pass away, and and I've accepted the right. teaching of Jesus right. Christ. Right, right. Then the rapture happens. My body is joined with my soul and mm-hmm. taken
0: to be with the Lord. I'm with mm-hmm. the Lord. Mm-hmm.
2: Then, if I'm gone, I'm not going to get caught up in this in this day of the Lord, the second coming. Is that correct?
0: Uh, partially, yes. You and I will come back with the Lord in His second coming. That's we'll, we'll talk about that briefly in a little bit. But you're you're right. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of the a lot of the specific details of some of this, depending on where you put the rapture, you and I are not going to be here for that. Which is why, among other things, and I want to get to that. Before this paragraph is over, Paul comes around again in verse 11 and says exactly the same thing. The teaching that I have just given you, encourage and comfort one another with us. So one of the, one of the and you see this throughout the scriptures, one of the clear points of teaching prophetic scripture is not to promote fights in the church. It's to promote comfort and encouragement. Maybe another way of putting this, just distilling it down to one simple sentence. God has a plan, he's working that plan, and he's told us enough about it that we know how to be ready. And so it, it becomes a challenge then for those who are not ready. Part of what you and I can do is encourage people to pay attention to the message and respond to it. All right. Since
1: his son was a carpenter, we're not going to get a clear closing game anyway. That's right. <laughs>
0: we are not. And,
1: and, 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 and whenever, listen,
0: whenever you hear somebody say, I've got a date when Christ is coming back, turn the radio off, turn the TV off or close the book because they do not have the authority to do that. Jesus says very clearly, Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour. The angels don't even know it. So don't try to set dates. Now, I saw a hand. Ed? Yeah,
2: I don't know much about teaching.
0: Right That's why you're here and you're learning.
2: Now, is that is that supposed to be a quick thing, or is that over a 50-year period or a 100-year period? Or
0: What's... Comes to, oh.
2: I mean, is that a slow build to a final end, or is that going to be just a massive... I mean, do they even predict how it's going to happen? Is it going to be all of a sudden destruction all over Earth, or... Is it a slow build to a destructive end? You
0: know Jim. (laughs) Tell (laughs) it. It's kind of revelation. uh, um, There is an answer to that. What is not answered is when it begins. We cannot set a date. But um, as the day of the Lord begins as an event, it is a seven-year period. It's um, it's what is called... Now, this, honestly, to really develop this, we would have to go back to the book yeah, of Daniel. But it it's in, in the book of Daniel, um, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he talks of the 70th week of Daniel. Again, that that is all within the context of what the book of Daniel is teaching, and that's very important. That entire book is a very, very important book. But... Um, that 70th week, it's seven-year period, is what will be associated with that event that I believe the rapture kicks off, but it lasts until the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming. Woody correctly made that distinction between the rapture and the second coming. If I've understood that correctly, the difference, or the, the, the rapture kicks it off, the second coming ends it, that's a seven-year period of time. It's what in Daniel's called the 70th week of Daniel. Now the build-up to all of that, it, that that event, that's I don't know how long it's going to take. It's been two thousand years, and we're still waiting. In that sense, but uh, the Lord Jesus is very clear: don't try to set date, don't try to determine when it's going to occur. Only the Father knows that. But for you, and this is the, the Lord just keeps saying this again and again and again. The key response for you is: Are you ready? That's the key. Are you ready?
2: Amen.
0: All right. Now let's continue. I don't know if I've lost you, but I'm trying the best to not lose you. Now continuing in verse 5. Notice again the pronoun. You. You are children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Now, the word sleep there is not the same word we saw up in verse, um, in chapter four, um, in verse, what verse is that? Uh, I'm talking, oh yeah, verse 15. It's not the same word. Can Can you trust me with that? It's a different word. The word for sleep here in chapter five, verse six, is a word for spiritual apathy, spiritual complacency. Follow me? So you could say, so then let us not be like others who are spiritually dead and complacent, but let us be awake. Let us be sober. Now, sober does not primarily have anything to do with the presence or absence of alcohol. Sober means temperate and balanced. another way of saying it is let us be ready for those who sleep sleep at night those who get drunk get drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate the hope of salvation as a helmet now if you look at verse 8 with me we belong to the day let us be sober why because we've put on faith. We have the breastplate of love. We have the hope of salvation as a helmet. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar to you, that verse? What's that sound like? What other passage of scripture? The whole armor of God in Ephesians 6. It's the same kind of language. Now, that's why don't stumble over the figurative language faith, breastplate of love, helmet of salvation. They're figures of speech. What does that mean? Like a soldier who's ready, you are ready. You've put on the proper equipment, so to speak, and the proper equipment spiritually is faith, love, and hope. And it's all centered in Christ. You've put your faith in him, you're expressing the love that he manifests, and you have the hope centered in him. You're ready. So let's paraphrase it. Since we belong to the day, we're ready. That's the point he's making. Does that make sense? Because we are children of the day, we're ready. Jesus said, you don't know the hour I'm coming back, you don't know when this is going to kick off, but I want you to do one thing, I want you to be ready. So Paul is saying, we're children of the day. We're ready. Did I lose you, or are you with me? I'm just trying to interpret the figures of speech that he's using. We're children of the day. Because we're children of the day, we're ready. So I can turn that around into a rhetorical question for each one of you today. Are you ready? And You don't necessarily have to answer that. But if you're not ready, make sure you get ready. And that is by putting your faith in Christ. So, when you start to unpack what he is saying, it isn't that difficult. I taught you about the day of the Lord, he said, and I told you it's going to come unexpectedly. But you're ready. Those who rejected the message aren't ready. How do you get ready? By responding to the message of Jesus Christ. You put on the helmet of salvation, which brings hope. You have the breastplate of love, which is a response to Christ, and you have put your faith in him. You're ready. So are you with me on getting ready and understand what he's saying? It is not that difficult. Once you put all of this and flesh out the figures of speech, you think, I really get what he's saying. And then verse 9 is one of the most important verses in the Bible and one of the greatest promises that God's made to us in the Bible. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. So, in the day of the Lord, when it comes into history, what will be the destiny of the people who have rejected the message? Wrath. Is just wrath. wrath. Let's just use the word. What is the destiny and goal of the children of light and day who have responded to the message?
1: Grace.
0: Salvation grace. And grace. In other words, see the difference? So, for the believer who has responded to the message, the day of the Lord will be a time of blessing. Because we will see God fulfill all of his promises to us. But for those who have rejected, it's a time of judgment time of God's wrath. And those words are the words that Jesus uses in Matthew 24 as he talks about the end time. And this is one of the reasons, this, I mean this verse, verse 9, is one of the reasons why most, I think I could say most, most New Testament teachers and scholars believe it is the rapture that kicks all this off. Because that seven-year period that Jesus calls that period the tribulation is a period, and he talks about that again and again in Matthew 24. It's going to be a time of wrath. God's pouring out his wrath on the rebellious planet. That you and I aren't going to be here. Because we are not destined to wrath, but to salvation. All right? Yes.
1: It's almost simpler than not eating apple.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know about that, Matt. But it's one of the real challenges, and this is in the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, is you've got to get the figures of speech worked out. Once you get the figures of speech worked out, you say, Oh, this isn't that difficult. I get it. How am I ready? By responding to the message. And exhibiting faith, hope, and love. And those who have put their faith in Christ are not appointed to wrath. Why? Because that's the teaching of the gospel. Jesus died for us, suffered for us. He took the wrath of God for us. And I appropriate that finished work to my life by faith, and I'm what, in the book of Romans, it's the main theme of the book of Romans, thesis statement of the book of Romans, I become righteous. The penalty's been paid. But if I reject the message, then I will be held accountable for that, which means I will be judged. Why would you and I not face judgment? Because Jesus was judged in our place, and we appropriated that by faith. So the day of the Lord is not something you fear and I fear, because the wrath of God was taken by Christ, and we appropriated that. So we don't fear the day of the Lord. But those who have rejected the message, they're saying it's never going to happen. That's a bunch of hooey. I don't believe that. But Jesus, Jesus says this in Matthew 24. Paul says it here. It's going to come unexpectedly for those who rejected the message. And they will be held accountable. And we're not quite done, but um, it's 1230. we got about 15 minutes left to finish this section. So I'm trying to build slowly Am I going slow enough? Are you with me? Because I'm telling you, men, I mean this seriously. This is probably the first time you have ever been exposed to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's probably the first time you've ever been taught this in a major way. And that's a very sad truth. <laughs> but I, I want you to be, without getting, there's a lot more, believe me, back of this is an enormous amount of detail, from the book of Daniel, the major prophets, minor prophets, of the discourse of Jesus, and so on. Book of Revelation. Right now we're not getting, in. I'm just giving these high, these high points that are the foundation, that's mixing metaphors, the, the key elements that are the foundation of biblical teaching about prophecy. Jesus is coming back. That should bring hope and encouragement. And the day of the Lord is in the event of history that over a period of time, those who have put their faith in Christ shouldn't fear that. But those who have rejected the message They'll be held accountable. Uh,
2: it's uh, last week and this week, been, <clears throat> you know, eye-opening and comforting. To these,
0: Excellent. Uh, I, I'm speaking personally. Excellent. Well, that's, that's the intent of this, as we see in verse 18 of chapter 4 and verse 11 of chapter 5. See you, John. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Can I go on? Yes. May I
1: ask... BC stands
0: for before Christ. Correct. AD, I thought it is that considered. It, it's a, a Latin "anno domine" in the year of the Lord. It's in after. The year of the Lord. It's okay. a, you I know "domine" is the year so of our Lord. It's not
1: the same technically. The day of the Lord.
0: No, it's no, 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 no no, no, no. It, it yeah. don't connect those at all. No. Thank all you, it right. means is time. How we account time after Christ. That, yep Thank you. Mm-hmm.
2: After Christ.
0: He was resurrected? Uh, yeah, and, yes, mm-hmm. by and large. It's after Christ's incarnation and all that. Uh, a, a couple of other verses here before we, we end this section and maybe before the time is up, uh, get into the next. Now, again, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to see salvation to our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now there, it's, it's the word that it's back over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Whether awake, alive, or sleep, we passed away. Follow me? That takes you back to chapter 4. Whether we're awake or asleep, whether we passed away or whether we're alive, we may live together with him. Because that's the promise of chapter 4.
2: That answered the question that I had earlier.
0: Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. That's why, again, this is the key point of chapter 5, 1 through 11. The day of the Lord is not something we fear. Those who have rejected the message should have fear, because that's accountability time. That's judgment time. But he said it. We're not appointed to wrath. So what is the concluding application of this? How does this affect my life? Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another, and then he adds something he didn't say in chapter four, verse eighteen. Here he says in chapter five, verse eleven, and build each other up. The uh, I think there's another another way to t- perhaps uh, to translate that, but the build each other up, encourage. Uh, Think with me about that. What does build each other up? What what does that mean? What does that bring to uh Comfort to mer- one another. Uh, Okay, comfort, but... Um, Tell we're doing here,
1: building each other
0: up. Right? Yeah. Edify. To edify, build up, strengthen. All of that is a part of that word we're translating, build each other up. In other words, it's not only a source of encouragement and comfort. This is strengthening me. This is is edifying me. It's making me stronger in my faith because it's developing this confidence. My God has a plan. I'm a part of that plan. And he's going to fulfill all of his promises. That's pretty important stuff. Therefore all of this end-time teaching that's kind of all wrapped around the phrase, Day of the Lord, is not something I fear. Why? Because I'm not appointed to wrath. Jesus took the wrath of God for me on Calvary's cross. Therefore, the end-time teaching and all that is involved in that is a source of encouragement for me, a source of building and strengthening for me, because God is going to keep all the promises he made.
2: Amen.
0: And that's sort of exciting. I know we don't get excited about biblical truth in this group. I didn't mean that. We do get excited. But it's just it's how people respond to this. And the apostle Paul is saying you're going to have two kinds of responses. You're going to have the people that are children of darkness tonight. They don't care this is a bunch of hooey, this is, nobody believes this anymore. It's been 2,000 years since this was written. Nobody believes that he's coming back again. I've talked to people that say that. I don't know if you've ever. I've talked to people that have actually said that. And Paul is saying, but there's the other group. There's those who have responded to the message. They know this is true. Therefore, they're um, they're not fearful. There's hope in their lives. And that's that's the whole point in in many ways from chapter 4 verse 13 here till chapter 5 verse 11. Both of those are two separate teachings there, but both of those teachings are to cause us to find comfort, encouragement and edification. So, as a result of this teaching, have you found comfort, encouragement and edification? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, if, you, if you don't, let's clarify what's missing. Without, again, without the enormous detail and back of this material, and there is a lot of detail and back of it from other parts of God's Word. You have two major end-time concepts, the rapture, verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4, and the day of the Lord in response to it, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. They're two separate teachings. They're connected, but they're two separate teachings. All right, questions.
1: So, like, uh, when Adam knew that, in, that Eve was going to sin and she sinned, he didn't stop. What like, was it? Because he was because he lacked faith, or what? What? Or just he's human?
0: <laughs> well. <laughs> I think I mean I think you're right. The, he, he, he lacked the faith or the trust or maybe be, let's be even he more bold here. It. He refused to trust in the truthfulness of what God was saying. Adam was in a situation that, uh, for for you and me, um, it's hard to even imagine what that was been, been like. Total clothed in total innocence. No sin, no evil. God entrusted everything to him, said, Adam, go at it. Whatever you do to the garden, you are my theocratic steward. It's yours. Cultivate it creatively. I've empowered you to do it. But there's a moral structure to this universe. There's a tree in the center of that garden. I'm asking you to trust me. Don't eat of that. Because the day you do eat of it is the day we will be separated. It's the day you will die. And Adam, you know, Adam watched Eve take the fruit from the temptation and, and all of the occurred. and Adam, what Adam should have done is he, he should have screamed at her, don't take that. But you did. And then he should have even more boldly said, okay, you've made the decision to rebel against God. I am not making that decision. I'm going to follow God and trust, because he told me that. I'm going to trust him with that. But as you know, Adam didn't do that.
1: So, and that's kind of almost like when we... If We don't spank our kids, or if we don't correct our kids, it's kind of withholding that rod without withholding what you know is right because you want to be loved by them, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to lose their love. So, you don't do something you know you should do that God wants you to do it.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I want to get into the issue of spanking, but the the eye of yeah, holding our I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I'm I'm being a little facetious there, but. <laughs> The I mean, as a parent, you want to hold your children accountable. You really do. Because that will affect how they grow up and live. If you let them do whatever they want, that's the kind of adult they'll be. God is, in affecting the same thing to us, Matt. I'm your Heavenly Father. We've entered into a relationship because you put your faith in my Son when I provided the means of salvation. Now, as your Father, your Heavenly Father, I want you to trust me. And I'm going to help you to grow and mature in your dependence on me. And if you do that... You, you will find a life that is fulfilling and purposeful. We live in a sin-cursed world, there are going to be struggles, but I'm with you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will not leave you, or I will not forsake you, the Heavenly Father says. Now, so in that sense, that relationship of father to son, or father to daughter, or whatever, is the relationship we have with God. And the one thing he keeps saying to us is, trust me. Trust me. And that's what Paul is saying here. That the Lord is laying out some broad stroke understanding of the end and the response that we're to have on this is, okay Lord I understand it and I trust you even though it's for you and me and when it was first written it was a couple of years now it's 2,000 years after Jesus went back to the Father and people are going to mock us and say you mean you still believe that old story that nobody believes anymore yeah I do because it's taught in God's word Yeah, that's stupid. You must be. Mm They're the children of darkness. And it's it's the kind of response then for you and me is we find encouragement, we find comfort, and we build each other up on this because our God knows what he's doing, and I'm going to trust him with it. And that's in effect what what the apostle Paul is really saying here. He wants the Thessalonian believers, he wants the Thessalonian believers to respond the same way I'm encouraging you guys and myself to respond, with trust that God knows what He's doing, and I'm a part of His plan because I put my faith in His Son, and therefore I will comfort myself, and comfort my children, and comfort my wife, and comfort the church I'm involved with, and encourage them and build them up in this truth. All right, real quick, what there are people who believe in God but don't take the step of faith. You understand what I'm saying? I, I think I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, not the children, they're, they're not the children of darkness, I don't think, but they still, you know, yeah, God's cool and he's, he's good, and all that, but then it, that's the furthest they'll go. So, you're saying. They
1: believe God
0: exists. Yeah, that, that's the, it. The key is they're not born from above. Again, yeah. That's what he's trying to to be born from it above. It isn't enough to just believe there's a God. Right. It's to respond to the message and provision of what God the Father has done through God the Son. <clears throat> And the words that, I, Mike, is Mike, right? Yes. Mike, what Mike has said, the word Jesus uses with Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again, you must be born from above. You Amen. must accept the message of who Jesus is, what he did, and appropriate it to your life by faith.
2: You know, and there's a lot of people out there like like, like uh, Rich is talking about, and, and I was that way for many, many years in mm-hmm. AA, you know, I, Believed in God mm-hmm. as I understand Him, you know. In other words, I couldn't stop drinking by myself, but I could pray and know that there was a higher power and pray to help me stay sober. This, day. sure. But I dealt with baby steps, you know. I didn't take it to the next level until I started going to church, you know. But you know, reading this is alarming for our family and friends to not mm-hmm. come to the Lord. That's right. And. Uh, We've had some experiences with trying to carry the message, yep. and they say, well, "What do you? Think? They think they think they think they're better than me because you know I believe in God. I'm a good person, and that's how they deal with it. Right. So that was good that you brought that up, Rich.
0: I think one of the, uh, and maybe I'll bring it to a conclusion with this. Um, some of you are familiar with this. Maybe you're not, but there's a program called the EE program, evangelist explosion program. And the, the reason I, I still use that occasionally, I you know, use some other methods too, but there are just two questions you ask people. Um, and one of the questions that you ask somebody is if, and it's kind of a scenario that everybody can probably imagine, if you were to die tonight and stand before the Lord, he'd ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And that is in many ways, that's the bottom line question of life. So you can put it this way. When we die and we stand before God and he says, why should I let you into your he- to my heaven? You know, what, what's, your, what's the possibility of your responses? Well, I've lived a really good life. Okay, what do you mean by good? Has it been a perfect life? Uh, well, no. I mean, you can just go through. You can see the answer that the scriptures give is, and the, the key answer is, Jesus died for me. He rose again for me. And I've appropriated that to my life by faith. Come in. Come in and enjoy the kingdom that's been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. So, I mean, see, it's, it's that answer. It isn't just do you believe in God. There are many, a Hindu believes in God. A Buddhist believes in God. It's an internal God that's inside of them as they look inward for enlightenment. But what, what biblical Christianity is saying to us is, and it all centers on the cross, and it's how you respond to the cross. That's the key. And God, who is our creator and our redeemer, has made a way, I've told you this before, he lays the gift on the table, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But like any gift, what do you have to do? You've got to pick the gift up. You have to accept the gift. If you don't accept the gift... He continues to lie on the table. And
1: it's not the cross with Jesus on it. It's the cross, the bare cross. Jesus. Well,
0: that's, that's right. It's, it's the resurrected Christ. The, resurrected. the cross where the penalty was paid and then the proof that it was paid was the resurrection. That's exactly right. Well, man, we got to quit. At least I have to quit. You can stay here and talk and have coffee, but i got to quit because i got another class to go to. Father, we're thankful for this uh, day and this message uh, that we've just summarized the, the extraordinary teaching of the day of the Lord. It's a concept. It's an important biblical concept. But the key that Paul is saying and it requires a response from us is how do you respond to that? It's either going to be a response of salvation and blessing or a response of judgment and wrath. And it all depends on what we've done with Jesus Christ. I trust and believe that every man around this table has put their faith in Christ. They're, they're in that new creation, the new life in Christ. They're learning dependence on him. They're growing. We're not perfect. We're all in that process of being transformed into the image of Christ. But it's, it's the most fulfilling, purpose-filled way to live. And I pray that you'll help each one of us to live that kind of life that's pleasing to you because Jesus paid the price. And I thank you, too, that we're in that process of growing and encouraging and edifying and building one another up in the faith. We're all in this together. We're not better than one another. We're not more spiritual than one another. We're all in the same spiritual boat. Jesus is driving the boat. He's taking us to heaven, and we just trust him completely and wholly. We're in this together, supporting and encouraging one another. Give us a good rest of this week, and all that we do and say, might we represent you well. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. See you next week.